0: for the reading of God's Word tonight. We're going to look at the first eight verses and then again jump into some other parts of Isaiah that aren't quite as familiar in a church service or to maybe the, the novice Christian here. Now, The Bible says, the beginning there in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Tonight we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, and I've titled the lesson this evening, He's Coming, He's Coming. Let's pray. Lord, I ask tonight that you, again, you help us as we study your word to give us a clear mind, uh, Lord, discerning hearts, and Lord, uh, an intent uh, spirit. Many folks coming in tonight are fatigued from a long day of work and and various activities, and Lord, I pray you'd help give us um, the stamina we need. Lord, may the teaching and preaching be relevant, may it be enthusiastic, and Lord, may it hold our attention, but Lord, where that isn't sufficient, Lord, may our uh, uh, efforts to uh, be engaged, uh, make up the difference there. And God, I pray that you'd help us to leave tonight more appreciative of your word and, Lord, committed to make appropriate changes. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We're moving into our Bible study on, uh, through the Bible. We've gone all the way from uh, the book of Genesis last week through Song of Solomon. If you missed last week's study, let me encourage you to either go online and listen to it or order the CD, and then on the back table over underneath the TV In the lobby, there is a script of how the book of Song of Solomon theoretically could have been broken out. It's how I see it having been broken out. I've gotten a lot of feedback from that last week. A lot of people seem to be interested in that. So if you weren't able to make it last week, I'd really encourage you to get that. We're leaving uh, the poetry books and we're moving into the prophetic books. For those of you that, I, I guess I haven't really taken the time to explain this, the Bible was not laid out in chronological order. Uh, you understand that the Bible is laid out in uh, in groups of books, and so we have the history books uh, in the beginning and we've got um, uh, we 've got the poetry books, I believe it followed up i 'm going off the top of my head and then you move into the uh, prophetic books or the books of the prophets. now a lot of what happened with the prophets, when they lived, uh, 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 who they were contemporaries with, fits back in with Kings and Samuel and Chronicles. And so a lot of these prophets are going to be looking at, uh, all of them actually fit back into that era of time. So we'll be, uh, through the series, referencing back into the Kings, the Chronicles uh, books, some in order to uh, keep in touch with what was going on uh, with that. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that a lot of Christians like to look past the prophetic books. They like to look past it because uh, it's not as easy to read as the Gospels or Paul's epistles. And so they'll look at the prophets and they don't really get it. You read through Ezekiel and you just left scratching your head and you say, what was that all about? And there are parts of Ezekiel I'm left scratching my head, just to tell you the truth. Uh, I know I'm a pastor. I've been to Bible college. I'm supposed to know everything, but I don't. Amen? And I'm willing to admit it. I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. There's plenty about the Bible I don't know. There's plenty of places I read. And, and I'm just honestly left to scratch my head. But then I open, the, open up some commentaries and look to see what they have to say, and they don't know either. So uh, we'll get to heaven, and God will teach us uh, 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 some of those things. But there are a lot in the prophets that can be gleaned. And so we're going to look at those. Uh, there are the major prophets and they are the minor prophets. Now, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I thought that the major prophets were tall and the minor prophets were short. That's just what I thought. And then I thought, well, I got a little older, maybe my teen years, and I thought, well, the major prophets were important and the minor prophets were less important. Has anybody else ever had these thoughts going to church? Uh, the major prophets and the minor prophets, they were equally important. They all preached sermons in their time and some of the minor prophets maybe even had more influence than some of the major prophets in their in their um, uh, in, during their time. But the reason why you have major prophets and minor prophets is more about the length of the books that were written than the um, importance or the height of the uh, of the prophets themselves. Uh, just a couple of uh, tidbits here uh, for you as we jump into the prophetic books or the books written by the prophets. Uh, this is kind of an introduction to that section of the Bible. Uh, what, what was an Old Testament prophet? Well, before I answer that, the timeline for the period of the prophets would have been uh, about 700 years. The prophets were around for about 700 years. And let me say, if anybody today tells you they're a prophet, turn around and walk the other way. We're done having prophets. Prophecies are done because the Word of God is complete. Uh, There are no more prophets. Prophets fit in a dispensation in the Bible that is closed. Okay, God does not use those kind of prophets anymore. Uh, uh, The prophets were around, if you want to take notes or you want to take extra notes and write this down, they would have been around from 1050 uh, before Christ, 1050 years before Christ, 1050 B.C., through 350 BC obviously they counted down toward the birth of Christ we we our calendar now AD counts up away from Christ so 1050 BC to 350 BC you have the 400 years of silence there uh, after Malachi was written and then before John the Baptist uh, came on the scene uh, the prophetic writings lasted 400 years their writings lasted 400 years from 800 BC down through 400 B.C., what was the purpose of a prophet? I believe I have these, uh, these will be up on the screen here. The purpose of a prophet, uh, they foretold. They foretold. In fact, this was their primary job. Now, we get all wrapped up in the next uh, uh, item I'm going to share about them foretelling the future and all that kind of stuff. But the main thing prophets did was not spew out future events. The main thing prophets did was they preached against sin and they warned about sin's consequences. That was the main thing they did. And I will say that while I am not a prophet and the pastors that stand in good uh, uh, Bible-believing churches around this country, while they're not prophets, prophets and New Testament pastors should have one thing in common and that is they preach against sin. And they preach against the consequences of sin. If you're ever out and about, maybe you move away from here and you're looking for a new church, or maybe you get disgruntled here and you want to go somewhere else, pick a church where the pastor is not afraid to preach against sin. Uh, I heard a a famous TV preacher, uh, by the way, i got to share this, Uh, Sunday morning I talked about being careful with TV preachers. Uh, We had a couple in the bookstore, they were watching me on TV when I said that. And he texted me and said, Pastor, you just discredited yourself right while you are preaching. So, if you're in the bookstore right now and you're watching me, or you're at home watching me on the live stream, I'm not talking about me, amen? Uh, but a lot of these people on TV, uh, uh, there's one guy in particular on TV, some of you probably figure out who he is. Uh, he's a big name preacher in Houston, Texas. That's as far as I'll go with it, amen? Um, uh, he does not preach against sin ever, ever. And I heard him preach a sermon where he was preaching against something one time. You know what it was? It was about eating pork. He was preaching against eating pork. Now look, I can think of a lot of things you should preach against before you preach. I love pork chops, amen? But uh, he was preaching against eating pork. And i got to say that the job of a preacher is to preach against sin. And one of the primary jobs of these prophets is they stood up and they preached hard against sin. And they laid out for the people what the consequences were if they continued down that path. Many of these prophets were killed for preaching that sermon. In fact, some prophets, God even came to them and directly told them, I'm going to have you preach something and nobody's going to listen to you. Now, how'd you like that? You're going to preach a fierce sermon and you're going to be hated. Well, why am I preaching it? So they'll be without excuse. They foretold. The second thing I have down here the purpose of a prophet is they foretold. They foretold. God used them to predict... Six major themes. Six major themes. Here they are, and uh, I, you just have to find a don't don't. Uh, maybe you can write these down on the back of a pew pew envelope or something. I don't know. You find find a piece of paper to write these down on. But judgment, on, a judgment on Judah, Israel, and other nations. Judgment on Judah, Israel, and other nations. There was a lot of foretelling, and we're going to look at one such sermon by Isaiah here in a few minutes, where he, he predicted the end of Israel by the hands of the Assyrians, the ten tribes by the hands of the Assyrians, which came about, but they did a lot of preaching about the judgment, impending and coming judgment, even laying out some of those details. Something else they preached against. Do I have these on the screen, Brother Matt? They're not on the screen. Okay, I couldn't remember if I had them there or not. Israel and Judah's captivity. Israel and Judah's captivity talked a lot about that Uh, another theme there that they foretold was the return and rebuilding of the remnant there was a lot of talking about how that uh, they were going to come back and rebuild the temple and have some remnant left there was a lot of prophesying about that you might remember how we talked about even Isaiah would foretell uh, the uh, the 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 even give the name of Cyrus who had release the Israelites and let them back. We talked about that when we covered the book of Ezra. Uh, there's the coming kingdom of God. I'll give you quickly two others here. The first coming of Christ. We'll look at that in detail here in a minute out of the book of Isaiah. And then Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Oftentimes, these guys who are writing these things out, they did not know exactly what they were talking about when God had them put them down. They would write something down and not even totally know what they were talking about. And I'll prove that to you. Turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And then you're going to hold your place in 1 Peter because we're going to be there uh, a couple of other times throughout the message this evening, the study this evening. Uh, 1 Peter 1 talks about how the prophets didn't even know what they were even talking about sometimes. Because they were prophesying of something that would make sense hundreds, sometimes thousands of years later Uh, but would not make sense to them as they were pinning it. And they were just given maybe a small window at times as to uh, what it was they were talking about or what it was they were writing. Look at verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says there, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Let me stop there. They're inquiring and searching about their own prophecies. You see that? They prophesied it. Then they're trying to figure out what it was that they prophesied. Look at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So we'll even see such tonight where Isaiah goes in great detail talking about the death of Christ or the Messiah. And he himself did not totally understand what he was writing down. We know also David penned uh, the 22nd psalm it was a messianic psalm and he had no idea uh, what he was doing when he wrote that down and there are other instances as well Uh, christ would quote uh, uh, many uh, of the of the uh, prophets old testament prophets and whatnot let's jump into the next section of the introduction here i really only have two points to cover tonight uh, and so, uh, jumping to the next section of the introduction, and I do believe this is on the screen, and that is the relevance question. Is that up there? Uh, the relevance question. Uh, you ask, uh, why should we study the prophets? What does that matter? How many of you uh, uh, remember algebra class in high school? How many of you remember that? And how many of you ask the question, why do I need to know, why do I need to figure out X? Anybody here do that? I did that. What's it matter? Uh, Who cares? How is this going to help me in life, right? Uh, Figuring out uh, what X is. And I was good with math, so they started throwing X's and Y's in. And then when they put them together... And, and made it into a multiplication problem of letters that got ridiculous. But you get where you get the the relevance question, uh, Mr. Smith. Why do we have to know this? And sometimes Christians will wonder, Pastor, I just need to you know to get up and love Jesus every day. What what does the pro- how does that benefit me? Well, let me give you some uh, uh, thoughts here on why we should study the prophets. First, let me say because Jesus quoted them and alluded to them. Jesus quoted them alluded to them. And if it's important to Christ, it ought to be important to us. Amen? It ought to be important to us. Jesus quoted them and He alluded to them often. Uh, And remembering that uh, before the New Testament was written, back when the apostles were around, they had the Old Testament to study. They knew the Old Testament. And that was really the basis of a lot of what they knew. The, The Old Testament and the prophets was sufficient enough... For people coming out of modern-day Iran, most likely, to know exactly when Jesus would be born. Because it was all in the prophets. Pretty neat there. Uh, Second reason uh, to answer the relevance question is this. God revealed Himself to them. God revealed Himself to those prophets. Now, if God verbally spoke and revealed Himself to someone and they wrote about it, boy, that interests me. That interests me. I want to know about those encounters. I want to know what I can extrapolate out of that to help me better be a better person. Here's another one. This one's kind of wordy and lengthy, but I think you'll get the idea here. Their writings form a basis for the New Covenant, the Church, and the books of the New Testament. Now, let me say this. There are a lot of people out there that want to preach out of the New Testament and ignore the Old Testament. Be careful about that. Be leery about that. Uh, the New Testament does not replace the Old Testament. The New Testament stacks on top of the Old Testament. Without the New Old Testament, the New Testament wouldn't work. And by the way, without the New Testament, the Old Testament wouldn't work. They need each other. So don't discount the Old Testament. Don't discount the prophets. Uh, the Bible tells us, I believe it's in the book of Galatians. Uh, I'm not remembering the right book, but in the, in the Pauline uh, epistles there, it tells us that the law was our schoolmaster. It shows us where we come short so that the grace of God can come in and make up the difference. I had uh, someone who goes to a uh, contemporary church that's related to me. I won't say any names because um, they may be watching online. Uh, But um, uh, someone who's related to me, they said to me, they said, well, our pastor taught us that if it isn't repeated in the New Testament, then that means we don't have to worry about it i got to say, that's not how it works. Unless the New Testament directly tells you it doesn't apply anymore, it still applies. It still applies. The writings of the prophets paved the way for the upcoming or the incoming Christ. Furthermore, the prophets, the prophets verify and validate that Jesus Himself was the Christ. One last thought on the relevant relevancy question here. One cannot fully understand Christianity without understanding the prophets. And I hope as we go throughout the, this uh, portion of the Through the Bible series with the, the, the prophets that you'll, you'll, you'll understand that point even greater. With all that said, let's, let's jump right in and look at these two points and talk about the book of the prophets that we uh, have come to in the Bible. Let's look at the, the prophet Isaiah in the book that God had him write. Number one of the outline there is Isaiah the prophet Isaiah the prophet Isaiah lived from 740 BC to 681 BC and that would have given him a life of 61 years and so he didn't live to be very old uh, he did live during several kings he lived during the the Judean uh, kings of Uzziah Jotham Ahaz Hezekiah and Manasseh so again, that's Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Manasseh. We know he lived during those kings. He was called into the ministry after his uncle Uzziah died. Most people believe it would have been his uncle. And the Lord called him up into heaven. The passage we read says that happened after Uzziah died. And so he would have been in the ministry serving the Lord as a prophet under Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, Hezekiah and Manasseh. Ancient history tells us Isaiah most likely died at the hands of King Manasseh, who is a very wicked man, Uh, and he would have died for prophesying against his wickedness. Legend has it he was sawed in half. He was sawed in half. That's a rough way to go. There are a lot of ways I would like to. I would. I would prefer to die. That is not one of them. Being sawed in half. Um, And I got to say, I would much rather be a New Testament preacher than an Old Testament prophet. Now, I'm going to show you some reasons for that tonight and some as we uh, continue through the series. Let's let's look at an A, B, and a C quickly here. First, notice His selection. His selection. Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at verses 1 through 8 there. I won't uh, read them again, the, all of them. But uh, look down with me at Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, let's look at verse number 5. It says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I... Dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As soon as he saw God in His glory and in His presence, uh, fullness, he immediately realized how sinful he was. Let me just make a quick application here and then go. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more sinful you realize you are. Some of you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. Go walk with God a little bit more. You realize... There's a lot of, a lot i got to work on. Um, I think Isaiah probably felt like a pretty good guy. And then he got right up against God. an old oh man, he realized I'm not so good. Um, you meet a lot of people, they think they're going to heaven because they're good folks. That just shows you how far away from the Lord they are. But not only did he realize how unclean his lips were, he realized how unclean the lips of his people were. What America needs, if I can Americanize this passage a little bit, What America needs, what Connecticut needs, what the greater Stratford area needs are people who will confess the sins of this country and this city and beg God for His mercy and revival. He saw the king and he confessed his sins. Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips." And iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said, I hear my sin, me. Now, I'm, I'm drawn to the fact that when Jesus walked the earth, He did not call teenagers into the ministry. Everybody sit and listen to me here for a minute. He called adults. He called career men into the ministry. You know, could it be career man... That God wants you to do ministry, but He can't call you because you can't get the sin out of the way so you can hear Him. Isaiah did not hear the voice of God calling him until he was first purged from his sin. Then he saw the need, he realized the need, and he was called in. Now some of you have greatly considered that at some point in your adult life, and if God didn't call you then, uh, then, uh, then then maybe the Lord will call you at another time in your life. I don't know how all that necessarily works. But keep yourself malleable and tender so that if God wants to call you, He can call you. Here Isaiah was called, and he, he, he heard the voice, he volunteered, and God allowed him to do that. Letter B, we see his sermons. Now, again, because this is a brief Bible study and we don't have time to... Dive deep into the book and look at every sermon he preached. We're just going to look at one uh, really quick excerpt of one sermon he preached. Look at chapter eight. Look at verse one. First of all, my, one of my favorite names in the Bible is found in verse one. May her shall that, That's fun to say. May her shall Anyway, um, try to say that twenty times fast. But um, anyway, that's not really where I'm going. I just want to point that out. Look at verse 5. The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, so he is to repair it with uh, the sermon the Lord's giving him. For as much as this people refuseth the water of uh, Shiloah, that goes softly and rejoice in reason and uh, Remaliah's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he shall come up uh, over all his channels and go over all his banks and he shall pass through Judah he shall overflow and go over he shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breadth of thy land o Emmanuel we know that when assyria attacked israel and carried israel away it just about took judah away too There was a siege on Judah. They were delivered. And so this was a prophecy, uh, a sermon, uh, uh, spelling out the consequences of sin here. And again, uh, because of the the sake of the time, we don't have time to go into all the sermons that were preached. But Isaiah would preach some hard, fierce sermons uh, to the Israelites because of their sin. And he was there to encourage the kings that wanted to do right, uh, be God's messenger in that way. And then he was there to preach hard sermons at the kings that wanted to do wrong. Uh, really quick here, we know that King Hezekiah wanted to do right. You might remember when the Assyrians came and threatened King Hezekiah and God sent Isaiah up to Hezekiah to say, Listen, you're doing the right thing. You're trusting Me and you're going to have victory. Just stay the course. And so we see that message. You may remember Isaiah walking into Hezekiah's throne room and saying that you're going to die. and You're going to die and just get your house and ready because you're going to die. And and then uh, he walks back in. God tells him to go back in and says, well, he's going to give you uh, 15 more years. And then the sundial moves that whole story. So he was God's messenger preaching God's sermons. But then he also had some nasty sermons he preached at King Manasseh that ended up resulting in his death. In uh, this uh, next subpoint uh, subpoint here, letter C, we see his extreme submission. His extreme submission. Now, again, earlier I said I would much rather be a New Testament pastor than an Old Testament prophet. Let me show you why. Turn over to chapter 20 and verse number 1. Something that uh, young Christians may not understand is that God, worked in a, a God has not changed, but God's method of getting points across has been different in different eras. We call those dispensations of the Bible. Um, in the time of the prophets, God was very good at using His prophets to be visual illustrations. You may remember that one of the prophets married a prostitute. God does not want you to marry a prostitute. okay? But God had one of His men, I think it was Hosea, marry a prostitute. Um, he had uh, another one of His prophets lay uh, on His side with His back toward the city. Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was like a half a year or something. And uh, He used... Cows. He was told first to use human dung, and God allowed that to be exchanged out, I believe, for cows' dung, and he cooked his fire over cows' dung, and that was meant to be a visual illustration about how God was turning his back on the country. How many understanding why I'd rather be a New Testament prophet than an Old Testament or New Testament preacher an Old Testament prophet? This one might be the worst. Look at chapter twenty and verse one. It says, uh, "In in the year that uh, Tartan came into Ashdod." When Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoes from thy foot. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah had walked naked and barefoot three years... "...for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians' prisoners uh, and the Egyptians' captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. And they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation of Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitants of this uh, uh shall say in that day, "...behold, such is our expectation." whether we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? So God literally told Isaiah, strip down, get in your birthday suit, walk around these countries naked for three years. And the sermon you'll preach is, just as I'm walking naked before you, you're going to be stripped down naked and and walk out uh, in front of your enemies because of your wickedness. So uh, God had Isaiah do some pretty extreme things to Isaiah's credit, he was submissive. He was submissive. Now, my friend, I don't know what God has asked you to do. What does this put it in perspective a little bit? Whatever it is, is better than that. It's better than that. It's easier than that. And if, if Isaiah can be malleable and submissive, then whatever the Lord is leading you to do, my friend, You need to come under and do it. Extreme submission. Number two, and this is where we really get into the fascinating part of the Bible study. I think everyone's going to enjoy this Isaiah's prophecies. Isaiah's prophecies. Prophecy has always fascinated Christians. They they love the uh, uh, the foretelling. The uh, some some people get so caught up in studying the Book of Revelation, and I haven't done a lot in Revelation since I've been here. I probably won't do a lot in Revelations as as your pastor. I'll I'll do some here and there. It's part of the counsel of God. I'm commanded to preach it. Let me just say this about prophecies, um, if I could. The people who study them the deepest most of them miss the reason why it's there. The, the prophecy of the end times should spawn us, should be a stimulus for us, so that we reach the lost before the rapture in the impending judgment of God. That's what it ought to do. But most people that study it, you know what they do? They sit in their basement and they study it. That's it. That's it. And they want to argue about the particulars. Uh, uh, some of you, if you ever, get, if we ever get to where I'm sharing, and, and this will happen. But when I share you know, my my opinions on end times, and and some of that is debatable. Some of you in here may disagree with me, and you know what I have to say to you. That's fine. That's fine. When Christ comes and raptures us, He'll educate all of us. And I'll be fine by then. So prophecy is fascinating. I get why it's fascinating. I get that it is fascinating. Uh, let me say this about Isaiah's prophecies. There were 131 messianic prophecies in Isaiah's book. Most of them dealt with Christ's first coming. Okay? So we are blessed because we get to see Isaiah who prophesied about the, uh, the Christ that would be born into the world and that would live and die, and we get the account of Christ living and dying, and we get to compare Isaiah to the Gospels and see how it all fits together. This is really, really, really neat. Let me just also say this uh, to anyone who's watching online, or maybe if someone in here, I'm not aware of this, but uh, if you are uh, uh, practicing uh, Judaism, let me say uh, that I respect you. Um, I, uh, I'm thankful uh, that you are part of God's chosen people. I don't at all want to come across as condescending. But how in the world can you study in depth the book of Isaiah and deny that Jesus was the Christ? How can you do it? Over and over and over again, as we'll see in just a moment here, the life of Jesus fulfills every single prophecy out of the book of Isaiah and all the rest of the prophets. And there's no denying that, both in terms of what the Bible records and also what many secular historians recorded. Turn over with me to chapter 7 and verse number 10. Let's first look at the Messiah's birth. And I believe we'll have these up on the screen for you. Chapter 7 and verse number 10. We're going to look at uh, the Old Testament prophecy, uh, Isaiah's prophecy, and then we're going to look at the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. Look at verse 10. It says uh, there, uh, we'll read down to verse 14, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Uh, by the way, the back story here is fascinating. We won't have time to get into that today. I encourage you to go back and read that. Verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Isaiah's going to give it anyway. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord Himself uh, shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. So Isaiah foretold that the Messiah would be born through the womb of a virgin. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter number 1. Look with me there uh, at verse number 23. It says there, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. That is almost verse 14 quoted word for word. This is the angel telling Mary, You're going to have a baby. Mary was a virgin. It was prophesied by Isaiah that the Messiah would be born through the womb of a virgin Jesus by the account of Matthew, and which I believe wholeheartedly was born through the womb of a virgin. How about the Messiah's importance? Even that was prophesied. Look back at chapter Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Still hear pages turning. Amen. Speed it up. Good deal. Verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste." Look at those words there. A, a foundation, a stone, and then... The adjectives there: a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. All right, turn over with me to First Peter chapter number two. I told you we'd be back in First Peter. Turn back there with me, real quick. First Peter chapter number two. Of course, I lost my marker here. Okay, there it is. First Peter chapter number two. Look at verse number four. To whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believed on him shall not be confounded. So uh, Isaiah is referenced here in the book of First Peter uh, com- talking about Christ and how He is the chief cornerstone of the church. By the way, i got to get this in here. The Catholic Church wants to claim that Peter was the rock which the church was built on. Peter in 1 Peter 2 says that Jesus was the cornerstone. Peter himself admitted that He was not the rock which the, the church was built upon. Alright, the next here, the Messiah's, uh, the Messiah's ministry. Uh, turn back over to uh, uh, look with me at Isaiah chapter 9. In verse number 1, Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 1, we're going to look at several verses here talking about the ministry of Christ. It says there, um, uh, beginning in verse 1, you can catch up with me once you get there. Nevertheless, uh, the dimness shall not be such as was in her uh, vexation. When at uh, first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Okay, turn with me over to Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4. Look with me at me, verse number 12 there. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtalim. These are the same uh, cities that were mentioned in Isaiah 9. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of uh, uh by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So uh, Isaiah uh, spoke of the land where Jesus would do His ministry, and sure enough, uh, uh, the book of Matthew hasn't recorded that He was doing that there. By the way, that would have been early on in the ministry of Christ in Matthew 4. Turn over to chapter 6 in Isaiah. Chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10. Chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10. Is this this fascinating to anybody to see how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies? I tell you, to me, it, it blows me away. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, "...and He said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart." And convert and be healed. So this is a, uh, uh, this is a prophecy about Jesus speaking in parables, how that the people would not would hear him but not understand him, and to prove that, turn over to Matthew chapter number thirteen. Matthew chapter thirteen and verse number thirteen. Here the Bible says, "Therefore spake I to them in parables." "...because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah." This is Jesus speaking Himself. "...which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have, they have closed." lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. And let me just quickly clarify, it wasn't that Jesus didn't want to hear them, it was that Jesus already knew they would reject Him regardless of the terms to which He spoke to them. You all remember Sunday morning's sermon uh, talking about, uh, out of John 6, how Jesus used the metaphor, I am the bread of life. I had, after church, someone asked me, they said, why did He speak to them in terms that were difficult? Why didn't He speak to them in terms that were plain? And I said to to the person that asked the question, I said, the answer to that is very simple. Jesus spoke in a metaphor to the lady at the well two chapters earlier. But she was able to receive salvation because her heart was in the right place. Jesus knew in John 6 their hearts were not in the right place. It didn't matter if He spoke in straight terms or a metaphor. They weren't going To come around. So, uh, Isaiah foretold how Jesus would minister, how he would speak. Look at chapter 35 with me. Isaiah chapter number 35 and verses number 5 and 6. It says there, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, that's a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams uh, in the desert. Okay, uh, I think we already know where this is going because Jesus would give the sight to the blind and, and, and hearing to the, uh, or rather the ability to speak to the dumb and, and all those things and the lame would, would leap. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 7 nonetheless. Luke chapter 7. And verse number 20. Giving your fingers a good workout tonight. Have sore fingers tomorrow. Luke chapter 7 and verse number 20. If you're using a cell phone or a tablet, you're just touching a couple buttons and you're all set. right? Luke chapter 7 and verse number 20. Look there with me. The Bible says, When the men were coming to Him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he... That should come or look we for another. So these are the disciples of John the Baptist speaking to Christ as John the Baptist is in prison. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, go your way and tell John. Now, let me pause here. Okay. John knew the prophet Isaiah. He knew his writings well. He had, probably had much of it memorized. And so, they came to Jesus saying, are you the one or should we look for another? Obviously, uh, John the Baptist being in a prison was down in sort of a, a pity party in, in a state of depression and, and beginning to doubt uh, whether or not he, he uh, just everything. And so he sends his disciples there, and Jesus, by doing what this right here, healing the sick and doing these things, he's playing on John's knowledge of the book of Isaiah. That's an important observation to make. Verse 22, Then Jesus answered, answering, said to him, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the... Uh, poor, the gospel is preached. What was he doing? He was saying, "I'm validating what Isaiah predicted." That's exactly what he was saying. He was giving, uh, he was giving a, um, uh, 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 he was giving proof based on the backing of Isaiah. There. All right, really quick, just a couple more, and we'll be done tonight. Look at chapter fifty-three with me, Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Um, George mentioned to me last uh, week that he loves Isaiah chapter 12. George, I got to read that chapter a couple times this week. That's rich. It didn't fit in my message anywhere this evening. But I would encourage everyone, it's a short chapter, read it, study it. I may, might even preach a whole sermon out of it at some point. It's really, really good. But um, Isaiah 53, obviously we can't get to everything in, in a 35-minute Bible study. But look with me at verse number 4. There it says, uh, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I'm going to stop the reading there because of where we're going in the New Testament is relevant to that portion of the verse. Look over with me at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 16. Surely He hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Verse 16 says, When the evening was come, they brought unto Him many that were possessed with devils, and He cast out the spirits with His word and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. A, a reference, direct reference right back there to verse number four. Alright, so that's the ministry of the Messiah as it was prophesied. Quickly, just let's, let's, let's just look at a couple more and we'll close it down for tonight. Notice the Messiah's death. The Messiah's death was foretold in uh, the book of Isaiah uh, uh, at least um, 750 years before it would even happen. Look back with me, Isaiah chapter 53, where we just were. Let's read from verse 4 down through verse 6. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. and With His stripes, referring to His beating. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Turn over with me to First Peter chapter two. Back in First Peter, I hope you have saved that marking. First Peter chapter two. Look with me at verse number twenty-four and twenty-five. The Bible says there who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins would live in a righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the capital S, Shepherd and Bishop of your souls. Clearly, uh, Peter here is referencing back to Isaiah, and he's completing, showing the completed prophecy there, how Jesus was beaten with stripes, the cat of nine-tails on his back, and that he became our sin. Uh, He bore our sin in his body. Look back at Isaiah chapter 53 and look at verse 9, or rather verse 7. The Bible says there, speaking of Jesus, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb." So he opened not his mouth. The contrast verse, or the comparison verse rather, First Peter chapter 2 again, verse 23. It says there, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He stood there and he kept his mouth shut. What happens when you lead a lamb to the slaughter? They don't know what's going on. They're just dumb. They're just standing there. They're about to get killed. They don't know. Jesus, just as innocent, stood there and allowed it to happen to him as though he didn't know what was happening. And then Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, and then Luke 23, 32 and 33, you can look at uh, in your own time. The last one I want to share with you here tonight is the Messiah's resurrection, Messiah's resurrection. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 53 and verse 10. Not only did Isaiah prophesy that Jesus would be born of a virgin, not only did he give the details of his ministry and his life, not only did he prophesy that Jesus would be killed, he also prophesied that Jesus would rise again. And you're going to have to look hard to see this, but it's definitely here. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, but uh, he hath put him uh, to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall, now here's where the prophecy comes, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, if he's dead, how can he see his days? If he's dead, how can he see what's going to prosper in his hand? Clearly, this is a reference that Jesus would rise again. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, we find Jesus risen again. He's risen again. So, uh, the entire life of Christ, Prophesied in the book of Isaiah, and we have just looked at the tip of the iceberg in the book. There is so much more here, and you can really dig in deep and read and study and understand. I'd encourage you to do it again. I think what did I say? 131 prophecies, Masonic prophecies. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, and we just looked at maybe nine or ten of them. So, Chuck Full, again, if you uh, are part of Judaism, and you say, pastor, uh, or uh, uh, preacher, uh, or religious person, I don't believe that Jesus was the Christ, you got a lot of explaining to do with the book of Isaiah, a lot of explaining a way to do. It's pretty clear to me that Jesus was the Christ. Let me ask you a question, I'll close tonight. Is He king of your life? It's not just good enough that Isaiah predicted it and happened. You've got to have that personal relationship with him. Let me just encourage you with this tonight. Walk with God. Walk with God tonight before you go to bed. Walk with God in the morning when you wake up. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you so much for a chance to get in your word and study it. Lord, I thank you that your word is so powerful.